Oh man, this is a special, special edition of Cheap Heat. And before we get into it, let me just say that if you're an MMA fan, make sure you're listening to my boy Ariel Helwani's MMA podcast. You can subscribe to it anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. It is wonderful. The man is the foremost voice in MMA. If you want to hear about MMA, there's only one place to do it. Ariel's MMA podcast. Now it's time for a big Cheap Heat. Yes, sir, we promised you a great man here It sure is. It is 100% confirmed professional wrestling. Welcome to the Cheap Heat Podcast. Uh, I am Peter Rosenberg. I am joined by the physically congested. Oh, yeah. Stat guy, Greg. How you doing, SUG? Oh, yeah. I'm doing good. I am very excited about this episode. I mean, listen, it's a, it's an exciting day. Um, when I found out, um, that the last ride was coming. You know, I, I didn't think much. I just thought I'm excited to see this. But then I saw, Likewise. then I saw the dead man popping up doing interviews. Yeah. There was Bill Simmons. It I was, think there was even a bar stool one. There was a bar stool? There was a bar stool from what I'm, oh. what I understand. It was a bar. Yeah, it hurts. I don't even know who does that podcast, Repug. Um, there was a, a busted open appearance. Yep. And it was like, well, if, if the Undertaker is going to do these other podcasts, he needs to do the podcast of record. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Number one, the number one wrestling podcast in the history of life. That's, that's the number one sports and recreation, sports and recreation podcast in the world. So we are told that in just a couple of minutes, we will be joined by Mark Calloway, aka the Undertaker. Um, and we're excited about that. Uh, SGG, anything else? Let, let's get started. What's going on outside the ring in professional wrestling? We'll just cut you off whenever uh, we see uh, Undertaker pop up on this Zoom. So the tag team formerly known as The Revival, mm-hmm. um, now known as FTR, debuted at AEW last night, which people have been waiting for it. Everyone saw it coming, and now here it is. They're officially all elite. There you have it. FTR. What does FTR mean, SGG? I believe it's F the rest. Mm. Is what they're going with. Okay. And is that a brand new, uh, like name altogether? Is that not a thing anyone knew before? Is this, this all just came out, came out of nowhere last night when they yeah, showed up at the end of the uh, Young Bucks was, match? Right. Cause they were supposed to be the revolt and, uh, FTR stood for F the revival. You know, that was like a little thing that an inside joke between them and the Young Bucks that 
sort of took a brand new life on the internet. And then I guess they ran with the, with the three letter initial, but just has it standing for F the rest. And, uh, we'll see what, we'll see what it looks like for them over there, but they are officially all elite. Um, was that the biggest thing that happened, uh, in terms of, that's the, I mean, we have besides the Mike Tyson appearance over the weekend. Yeah. I saw Mike struggle. Um, I, I haven't finished last night's episode. I did see Mike struggling with his shirt, however. Yeah, I saw that too. I didn't see the scuffle, but apparently Mike and Jericho have some old beef that they need to settle in AEW. So we'll see where that goes and how that plays out, but. So yeah, we can get a little bit more into detail uh later in the podcast um about what we thought about the double or nothing pay-per-view, which to me was really ended up ultimately being a, a two-match card, but um we'll get into that and uh SGG are you all caught up on the last ride by the way? I am. I am. Now, had you watched the first couple or did you just jump into all of them like right now? No, yeah, I definitely watched the first couple and it's like it's sort of like the last dance as well. Like you have to see them, you have to catch them all. Cause again, it's this figure that doesn't do much press, but he's at the top of the game. And so you got to see what he has to say. Did he's you, been very guarded. Did you think prior to this that you needed, like, you know how Dipperstein lives, uh, the way Dipperstein lives his life? Kayfabe only, of course. Correct. Did you think that I don't know, when it came to The Undertaker, you felt sort of the same way and, and didn't know you would be interested in, in meeting the man, Mark Calloway? Absolutely, because I didn't think we'd get it. I thought we'd get like a character-driven, sort of guarded thing, and then we get what we get is completely stripped away. The man behind the, the, the Undertaker character, and we get a lot of honest uh, reflection which is another thing you don't really expect out of these WWE documentaries. You expect a story, uh storyline, character driven, sort of pseudo kayfabe. And in this one, you get, you know, you see his disappointments, you see his struggles, you see it all. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I personally felt, I, I think I had mixed feelings about it. I do have a lot of faith in, the WWE documentaries in general, right? Like, I I do generally have just a lot of faith that it will be done in the right way um, because it always has been so far. They've always been done so well. But at the same time, when it got to be The Undertaker, yet I just was like, do I need to... Do, do I, is this the last vestige of me holding on to my childhood where a character is just their character? Yeah, it is. That so like that's I think part of why I didn't necessarily want to let go because I wanted to just live in the the right now uh, uh this is the guy, this will always be the guy and that's all there is. But now that it's happened, I feel this gives his character more life. Um, I did Sam Sam's podcast this week, and I was telling him that I I believe that because we now know who Mark Calloway is, it gives us the opportunity um to potentially have his character reinvent himself based on the fact that we know who Mark Calloway is because 
Think about the flexibility it gives him as a character now. He's able to have a match, let's say, at WrestleMania next year. And if he's having a hard time physically, if it's not the, the best moment and he's struggling, that can all be built into the story. In fact, they can prey on it. They can use it as part of it. They can, he can act as if he's injured and struggling more than he even is because we're now also invested we're in hooked. who Mark Calloway is. Yeah, we're hooked. And I, we're hooked. He got us. and I wonder whether, you know, cause this, this is really kind of a story of, of, of someone looking for peace. And I wonder whether the documentary itself will help give him that piece. I hope, I hope so from like, but just been in seeing the struggles that he's having with, with everything winding down if, in the documentary. But at the same time, I hope that the documentary giving him that piece doesn't also lead to him walking away. Cause I think he has, he has another boneyard match type of, type of match in him. I think he has another one of those in him. Well, I'm curious to find out when we talk to him, is it, does he want to do more matches like that? Could a proper ending be in a boneyard match? Does it have to be where he at least has one send off in a proper stadium environment? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I'm, so I'm curious to how he views that because, you know, we obviously all view the, the boneyard match as a real opportunity, um, you know, as an opportunity to get more matches. Um, but at the flip side, does he need more than that? Does he need more than a, a boneyard match to put a bow on this thing? And and if that is the case, then will we get um, possibly some boneyard matches in a lead-up to another match? So there's a lot to... There's a lot that that's sort of I guess my ideal scenario if I was to get to choose um would be to see a couple of those to keep things fresh keep them going and it looked like even from the little moment they had in the Royal Rumble that they may keep the AJ thing going and did they decide and did he decide that AJ is the perfect foe and because of that maybe it ends up one day being at a stadium with AJ Styles Maybe I mean he we we know from the documentary like he was a fan of AJ for years. I mean they have that clip which I don't even think he knew he was being recorded, and he's just watching AJ match like AJ's got it. Like AJ is the closest thing to Sean, and we know how much he loved his matches with Sean, despite you know some of their differences early on in the career. So if he's trying to replicate that, I mean AJ is the guy to to sort of get him there. Yeah, and and AJ is kind of probably around the same age that Sean was when Sean had the matches with Undertaker. I believe so. AJ's in his early forties right now, right? AJ's like forty three. Yeah, yeah, and and Sean's in his mid fifties. Yes. So you maybe even Sean was a little bit older when he had those matches. Um, that is possible. But, you know, knock on wood, you know, AJ's been super fortunate so far. And we've been, really, we've all, let's be honest, we've all been sort of blessed by this run of AJ Styles in WWE. I, I was always of the, I started to to become of the thought that by the time we'd get AJ, it would sort of be too late to get the AJ that we want. By the nope, way, they got the best version of AJ, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, it looks like this has been the best version of AJ. Um even though you know I loved AJ with Nate 
and Nate's rolling around the wheelchair, screaming like a lunatic. <laughs> um, now also it should be noted, uh, WWE adding a crowd of sorts this week, um, to Raw and NXT, and I'll assume SmackDown as well. They used the Performance Center on Monday and put um, mm-hmm. Performance Center, Center uh, guys and girls in the crowd. Although also had them like behind glass, almost like a hockey game. Like a hockey game, yeah. Um, and then of course at the end, half the performance center ended up rushing into the ring to to pull apart Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley. <laughs> Those who weren't blessed enough to be in the crowd had to come back out and be security. Yeah, it's <laughs> so I mean. I don't know from a distancing standpoint if it worked that well when everyone runs together into the ring, but listen, these things happen. Now, the NXT crowd, SGG, was that also Performance Center kids, or was it regular people as well, like, but distanced? I think it was Performance Center trainees as well in the NXT crowd. Okay. Um, so how do you feel about it? How do you feel about the, the, the move going that direction? I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily like it. I feel like the no crowd thing was working for WWE in that, you know, they had their own feel and then AEW had their own feel. I think the way that they're doing it is differentiating them from AEW mm-hmm. enough. But I mean, in general, I would have sort of like tried to have them have their own identity. I do like that it feels completely different than the way AEW is doing it because then what's the point? If you're just going to go out there and wholesale, do it exactly like they're doing it. Um, I mean, listen, I have mixed feelings on that, though, because that happens all the time. I mean, what was the casino ladder match? It was like a Royal Rumble Money in the Bank mashup that, I mean. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it was a mashup, so it's slightly different, but that that's all art. Like, there, in art, there are things that you see people do and go, oh, that works, and it ends up just being an innovation. You know, like, there are certain things that happen in hip-hop that you could argue, oh, this person invented uh, auto-tune. You can't use auto-tune. Well, it, it just ended up being an innovation that mul- that everyone starts using because it adds to what you're doing. So I disagree with you that they should have stuck with no crowd. I yeah, think silence not, was deafening. Not that you can't use it. Like, not that they can't use a crowd. I mean, like I said, I appreciate the way that they tried to do it and have their own identity with it. But quite honestly, it, it felt a little like they should have just kept with the no crowd. I was... Because now, I mean, you have the the crowd substituted. You have the, the NXT kids substituted as the crowd, and then they don't respond how a typical WWE would crowd, crowd would in certain situations. Like, you know, they, they boo exactly when it's supposed to. They cheer exactly when it's supposed to. Uh, right, that's true. It just didn't feel as authentic. Got it. You feel like that the, the AEW crowd feels a little more rogue, like they're just kind of doing what they want to do. Yeah, especially when you have guys like jumping the rail when they feel like it, like MJF and Wardlow jumping in and getting involved. Like them having the crowd, they made it make sense by having that be something that facilitates um, angles versus just like the performance center trainees as a substitute for the crowd. Although, it's just like, although because it is trainees, it could at some point facilitate stuff like that. Um, by the way, can we just give a, a nod to you know the the no pun intended MVP right now MVP. And, and talk about how yeah. imp- how impactful he is on the show and how much he has instantly made Bobby Lashley appear like a, a credible threat. Yeah, it's it's great. And I mean, 
you sort of hope that it doesn't lead to just Bobby Lashley not getting his hand on the championship at some point. But mm-hmm. yeah, MVP has been a great addition to the whole show with the VIP lounge and just having him drop in and be a part of all these different storylines with the VIP lounge. I'm loving it. And I, I think somebody tweeted too that they finally see what we were so hype about, which is, is yeah, as yeah, a fan saw- and for you, I'm sure as a friend of his. I saw that. I saw that. Um, and I, I get it. Um, because, you know, maybe if you miss some of his run, um, you wouldn't necessarily know what it is that makes him so special. Um, and I, you know, listen, I, I try to spend not, I try not to spend too much time thinking about what could have been gained if he had come back a long time ago. Because maybe you could have still got him when he was at the top of his game physically. Um, but ulti- right. but ultimately, I, I yeah, I try not to spend too much time thinking about that because what you're getting from him right now is great. So why yeah, why dwell it, it really why, is. why dwell on what could have been when what we're getting is still fantastic? Because you know how people are, man. You, you get a little bit of the greatness, and it's like. What about this? You know, wrestling fans love to fantasy book. They love to drop people in these situations, the dream match scenarios and things like that. Yeah, and and that's what I was doing. But now I'm like, nah, this is great. Let me let me just appreciate this. Let me appreciate the fact that he has a chance, in my opinion, if if they wanted to do this, he they have a chance to make Bobby Lashley um and MVP a totally different level than they were both were previously. Now, specifically, um, MVP has the chance, in my opinion, to become a multi-tool player. Like, you're talking about a guy who could do commentary. You're talking about a guy who could do um, managing. He could do everything at the same time. You know, he, yeah. and he can get in the ring when you need him to, too. Yeah, he could like instantly become, he could, if he wanted to, he could instantly become, and if, and if, if it was wanted by other people, basically Bobby Heenan. You're talking about a guy, yeah. and he's probably the same age right now as prime Bobby Heenan. <laughs> I mean, I, I can guess. <laughs> You're probably right. I think Bobby, I think Bobby passed away around, 70 um and his prime years what 30 years ago yeah so you know maybe he's a couple years older but um he really could be mvp could be a guy who you use on commentary who you use as a manager who when you need to have him get beat up Gets beat up by, you know, the big good guy who, who needs to beat up, beat him up because he can take the bump still. So he, there's, he really can do so many different things, you know, for you. Um, and I just thought it was fascinating that Lashley, who has really been the same guy for a while, instantly became more interesting when MVP stood next to him. Like that isn't that the well, yeah. that's the telltale sign of someone being impactful in that role. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. And I mean, unfortunately for Lashley, that's that's the lesson we learned from pairing him with Leo Rush is that as compelling and dynamic as he is in the ring, he needs somebody to sort of get him over the hump on the microphone as a mouthpiece. Because again, you pair him with Leo Rush and he got shot to the moon and now he's paired with MVP and he's completely one hundred percent nobody can deny on the upswing. Yeah, it's just, it's funny to me, like, they really haven't done that much when you think about it. I mean, it's really as simple as, it's really as simple as MVP just getting next to him and all of a sudden, the guy becomes, you know, different overnight. Um, and speaking of different overnight, uh, a, a guy who has become different overnight in the eyes of, of all of us, cause we, we, we finally know who he is. And that is Mark Calloway, a.k.a. The Undertaker. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. How you guys doing? Oh, man. We're doing great now. We're, yeah, we're great, man. This is, uh done a lot of interviews in, in wrestling over the last decade and change. Rarely get nervous. Rarely bust out a full notebook of preparation. But I have to tell you, man, I was so surprised and, and now pleasantly surprised that you've decided to sort of not only do the doc, but take this step into doing press and kind of letting go of the the character a bit publicly was that something you planned to do around this doc or has it just happened organically it's all happened organically uh this whole thing we didn't set out uh with the intention of uh, making a doc a documentary a docuseries i uh around uh the wrestlemania with roman i thought that was going to be it um, I thought that was going to be my, my last, uh, my last mania, my last match. So I wanted to document, uh, all that emotion, everything that went around that weekend, because I didn't think I was going to have another opportunity to do all of that. So that's how it, that's how it really started. Um, and then the next thing you know, we're three years down the line and we have all this footage and all these, these, these interviews and, and we kind of start figuring or started to realize like, Hey, we, we really have something here that, that, that could be special. And, um, and I really have to thank, uh, you know, Dan Puccinelli who's produced this thing and, um, just him and his team have been so awesome about this. And, uh, Really, I can't. I, I couldn't be, you know, uh, happier with how this has turned out. And then, in turn, all the media now had no clue that this this storm was coming. Up, you know, kind of follow the doc, but it's been um, it, it's been good because you know I get to elaborate on some things and and explain some different things that maybe the the documentary kind of raises a lot of questions about things. So. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, I'm kind of starting to get comfortable doing it. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, how does it, how does it feel? I mean, the last interview that I remembered you doing was, uh, let me not be a bad guy and forget my man's name, but that dude in Canada who used to do all the wrestling interviews. And right. you did that interview where you were basically, basically still in character, but you know, 20 years ago, besides that, I'd never seen anything. Does it feel a little awkward or does it feel pretty good doing this? It, it's been awkward. Uh, it, it's been awkward in the sense of talking so openly about the business, mm-hmm. like 
I'm a dinosaur and I was the last one to kind of try and, you know, hold on to kayfabe and, and, and keep all that to good. I mean, I would actually cringe when I would hear people talking openly, you know, about the ins and outs of what we do. And, uh, you know, I just finally realized that like, okay, this is where we're at. This is, this is the sign of the times. And, uh, and it's just really become more and more difficult for me to try to keep that aura and mystique around the character because everybody, everywhere you go, you know, they, they got a cell phone in their hand and it's always going and it's, uh, you know, it's, so it was, it was really starting to become unfair to my kids and my wife and everything for me to try and, you know, try and hold on to a little bit of the mystique and then be dad and husband. And it's just like, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's time to, to kind of open the door just a little bit. I didn't know we were going to kick it off the hinges, but (laughs) (laughs) I know we were just talking about that. I didn't even know if I wanted it. You know, I was, I was sitting there like, do I want a documentary on the undertaker? I mean, you are such a figure that, you know, I started doing kickoff shows and whatnot in 2017 with WWE, and I've only seen you backstage a couple times. And I, I think I politely and quietly shook your hand in catering one time, but the aura to me felt real enough that even when I saw you and I was there to work, I, I just still wasn't comfortable to come chat it up with you. And I liked that. You know, there was, there was, there was an excitement to the idea that when you were in the building, Listen, you know it. There's a certain respect you get from everybody. You are not treated casually when you're in the building at this stage in your career. And I just think it's turned out to be a beautiful thing. I've really enjoyed getting to see it. And now I wonder, if you are to have more matches down the line, could the character that we've gotten to know sort of free you up a little bit as a wrestling character and allow you to play on certain things that people have learned about Mark Calloway the man? I think so. And I think the, uh, I think that's kind of when we did the boneyard match with, with AJ. Um, if, if there are matches in the future, it's going to be that it'll, it'll be that character. Um, a mix, and, sort of a hybrid of it all. Yeah. That was kind of my, I, I think in the buildup, I, I, I labeled it the unholy Trinity, mm. which is, the original Undertaker, the American Badass, and Mark Calloway, and, and they're all wrapped in together. And that's what that, you know, AJ's promos, the way he crossed the line professionally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talking about my wife, like there, there's really no way for me to do that match in character, in the, you know, in a straightforward Undertaker character. Mm. Uh, it allowed me to keep elements of that and then obviously elements of the American badass. And then you get a lot of, you get a lot of Mark Calloway, especially in the, you know, in, in the trash talking part of that, which I think was one of the key elements to the match was to be able to hear the dialogue. Oh, I love that. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, that was a big yeah. part of it. You could feel, you that could was feel your character. Yep. Yeah, it, that, then it makes it, 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 it's, that makes it more real. Like, you know, cause that's, that's probably the kind of shit that I would be talking if that was, you know, if it was really happened. So I think moving forward, if we do anything, if I do anything else in the ring, that's probably what you're going to get is that, is that, uh, iteration of the, of the character. Now, 
if we are to get you in the ring again, do you think you could say goodbye? So much of this story is about you figuring out how to say goodbye, and which is right. such a real thing for for people in in many walks of life, but particularly professional athletes. Um, now, do you think you could say goodbye after a boneyard match, or would you think you need one more time in front of that crowd to really have it be an official goodbye? I don't know. We'll see after episode five. <laughs> <laughs> I can't serve that up to you yet, bro. All right, all right, fair I enough. Got, fair I got enough. two more episodes to come out. Hey, I listen, can't... now you got to keep documentary kayfabe. It's a different world altogether. I understand. It's a whole new, yeah. It's a whole new deal. <laughs> all right, let's let's go let's go back in time. I, I want to jump back and start at the beginning uh, and talk about your debut and your original conversations with Vince McMahon um, when you came to the WWF. What were you? Do you remember the early conversations and and what you and Vince discussed early on about what this character would look like? Yeah, so I'm sure by now you've heard of, you know, you've heard the Eggman story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, of course. So um, I, I was just thrilled. I had no clue what Undertaker was. I just knew it wasn't Eggman. And, uh, you know, I, I was thrilled about that. Uh, he brings me up to Connecticut and um, we meet and he's got, you know, he's got storyboards of, you know, of what he thinks this character is and what it looked. And I was just like, wow, this is really cool. And it's really different. And, uh, you know, immediately my mind's just, my mind's just spinning, right? Like, okay. You know, I'm like, okay. Wh- where am I going to, am I going to take this? You know, I'm thinking Freddy Krueger and I'm thinking Michael Myers and, and, and uh, Jason Voorhees, all these, these, you know, super killer villains that are in all these, you know, slasher movies. And, um, but then I'm also trying to figure out how it applies to professional wrestling. And, and, you know, so, um, you know, it originally he, he gave me the likeness. Um, and, and then it was kind of, uh, you know, a, a lot of it was put in my hands to, to develop. And it took me a while to figure out because at that point, you know, I was still trying, I was still relying on being a big guy that could, that could move around and be athletic and, and do a lot of things. And it took me, a, it took me a couple of times out to realize, okay, well, this isn't really going to work for what I've envisioned in this character. Mm-hmm. So like I had to slow down, I had to slow down some of my pace and slow down some of the athleticism. And so that's how we, you know, then I figured out like, I'm going to go really, really slow and then I'm going to bang and then I'm going to blow something out of the water and catch people off guard with it. You know, just like they do in the movies, like, you know, the guy's running and running and running and running and goes around the corner. And then there's the, you know, there's Michael Myers kind of a deal. So I'm trying to figure out all of those elements and then how to make it work uh, in a professional, you know, in a wrestling ring. Why is it that you think you lean so much into the character? Cause I know before you come to WWE, you're in WCW and you tell a story of being told that nobody's ever going to pay to see you wrestle. Do you think that's why you try to like put it together and go so deep in the character with it to be more of a complete, well-rounded wrestler than some of the old school guys who just grapple? Well, I, I knew so just at the, at the time period, I mean, there were so many, there were so many over the top characters already. 
you know, I mean, everything was over the top with WWF. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to figure out what, how am I going to separate myself from what everybody else is doing? How do you stand out with all these, you know, all these already established performers? And then this was, you know, he had had that character. Vince had had that character for a while. He just didn't have the right guy that he felt like to do it. Um, you know, I guess he needed somebody big that didn't have much personality. To <laughs> <laughs> so here, here I come stumbling right in on that. So I got lucky there. Um, but, but I felt like it was, it was given to me. So I really wanted to, you know, one, Vince has given me an opportunity after I'd been told that, right? I mean, that when they told me that I was, you know, no one would ever pay to see me money. I mean, I mean, you, you can imagine the size chip that went on my shoulder. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was like, okay, you know, screw you guys. You will, you will regret the day that you didn't sign me to just a little bit. <laughs> and that's all it would have been. It, it's so crazy how things work out. Like if they had just give me a little extra cheese, I oh, mean, see, you were just trying to get a little, uh, somewhat appropriate amount of money, and you would have stayed being mean, Mark. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was. I mean, that's where I wanted to be. I, I, you know, I didn't know any better, but I mean, I figured I was a more mainstream wrestler, right? And that's where WCW was at the time, and Vince had all these different characters, and that that wasn't that didn't really seem to suit where, you know where I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be there with flair and, 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 and Arn and all those guys that just seemed to fit my, you know, my outlook on wrestling. And then, you know, they didn't, <laughs> and believe me, I wasn't asking for, you know, I, I wasn't asking for the, for the, for the Lex Luger deal or, or, or the road warrior. Right. Deal. Right. I was, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little extra cheese. And, uh, and then you know, here, here we are 30 years that, later. They ain't gonna. Nobody's gonna pay money to see you. We're gonna give you the same deal. I'm like, okay, writing's on the wall. Yeah, they didn't even bump me up a little. And did you did you call Vince or did did they call you? So that's so Paul uh, Paul Heyman is managing me uh, at the time that this all came about, and Paul Heyman and Bruce Pritchard were were close. Mm-hmm. So Paul and Bruce were talking. And then Bruce was working on Vince. And um, so Vince, I guess Bruce had finally got Vince to agree to watch uh, the great American bash that I was going to, I had with uh, Lex Luger. I don't know, maybe a week before that, I really screw up my hip, right, in a match. So I can barely move, but I know I got to go out and, and, and do something, right? So so Vince watches, Vince watches the, the, the pay-per-view or, or the, the American bash. And he goes, eh, he's okay. Nothing, nothing special. And, uh, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but Bruce, you know, said, okay, but does it matter that, you know, he can barely, he could barely walk going into that. Right. And so that kind of grabbed, well, okay, well, you know, grab Vince's attention a little bit. But Bruce kept working on Vince until finally I got a meeting. And uh, and then the first meeting got put off because uh, that's right around the time that uh, Beefcake got hurt in that parasailing accident. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So the meeting gets gets put off because Vince went to see uh, Beefcake in Florida. 
So now I'm basically working down there. They think that I have a contract. I'm working with no contract at WCW. And uh, we finally we finally went to the Meadowlands, I think. And uh, right the next morning, I, I had a meeting at the house. And even then, I went in thinking, I got this. Had the meeting, I don't know, maybe two hours I spent with, with Bruce and Vince and J.J. Dillon and uh, Pat Patterson have this meeting and, you know, think I'm being impressive and charming and everything else. At the end of the meeting, Vince looks at me and he goes, well, uh, we don't really have anything right now. Oh, no. <laughs> and I've, I've already given my notice. I'm <laughs> thinking, like, I got the meeting. I figured the job's in the bag, right? So I've already given my notice down at WCW. And uh, so that was a little bit of a little another story. Now, was he, was he messing with you? Was he just testing you? Oh, no. He no, really he was wasn't serious. sure. Yeah, he, he was. He didn't have anything. He's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe after Mania, you know, we'll have some slots open up. We'll be moving things around. And uh, I was like, okay. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate the, uh, you know, I appreciate your time and <laughs> out the door I went. Um, wow. They did within a few weeks, uh, you know, they called me and said, hey, uh, Hogan's doing this movie out in LA. They want me to go, they wanted me to go read for it. And I read for the movie. I got the part. Uh, worst, the Suburban Commando? Worst movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> It is awful. It is truly, truly awful. Um, but you know, that kept me busy for a little while. And then, um, and then finally they I were, got a call for survivor yeah. series. And yeah, so let, let's, fa- yeah. let's fast forward to the 91 survivor series. What do you remember about the week with you winning the title and then the decision to give it right back uh, on this Tuesday in Texas? What, what, what was that week like? Well, that was, I mean, that was crazy. Like, so, I mean, it started out bad and and just, it progressively got worse. Like, um, you know, Hogan claims that I heard him, uh, on the tombstone during the pay-per-view. Right. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, like, I didn't find out till Tuesday. I knew there was going to be another pay-per-view, but I didn't know that I was, you know, I was going to drop this belt back and any, what was going on. I mean, that came up out of nowhere, but I kind of figured like, Oh, okay. I, you know, I, maybe it's cause he's telling everybody that I heard him, you know, and you know, Hulk was still the golden goose at the time. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is, you know, they're going to take this off of me because I can't trust me or, or, or whatnot. It really wasn't explained to me what, what the the reasoning was behind it. And by the way, what a different era this is for you because you've been the locker room leader for so long, the conscience of the locker room, all these nicknames. But back then, you're still a relatively new guy. So how do you even handle when people say that with Hogan saying you heard him? Well, fortunately, like like I was devastated. Um, And I was, I mean, the whole deal was, it was a a setup from the whole get-go, right? So back then, you know, we would usually show up noon, you know, on a TV or pay-per-view day. We show up at the, at the arena around noon, one o'clock, you know, Hogan would roll in about four or five. So I remember getting there about, 
about noon and Hogan was already there. And I'm walking down the red hall. Red flag number one. Red flag number one, right? <laughs> so uh, he goes, he goes, hey, kid, uh, can I talk to you, right? So we go into one of the locker rooms, into the shower, right? That's whenever, that's where all the business was always done back in the day. You went into the shower, whether it was to fight, settle, whatever score, it always happened in the shower. So he's telling me, he goes, hey, I got this neck injury. <clears throat> he says, I'm really nervous about taking your finish. And I was like, I was like, Hulk, believe me. I said, I will protect you. Like, I mean, I pride myself on not hurting people. And, and I promise you, I will have you so tight that there's no way possible that you're going to hurt your neck. So, you know, with that, we went on about our business. Every point during the day, I'd pass him in the hall or whatnot. You know, I'd get the, you know, like remember about my neck, right? So that's all I got all day. It was, was you know, <laughs> my neck. So, so we go into the finish. <clears throat> we go into the finish. Flair comes down, slides the chair down. I pick him up, and when I tell you, I had, I had the brother secure. <laughs> he was secure. Boom! I give, I give him the tombstone. As soon as my knees hit, I hear, oh. oh. You got me, you got me, brother. No. My like, neck and my back. My neck and I'm my like, back. Wow. Yeah, I am just like, how on how I'm like, I'm you know, you have all these like I'm what, twenty I was twenty four, twenty five years old, and you know, I just I just crushed Hulk Hogan, right? That's that's what's going through my head. Like they gave me this opportunity, they gave me the chance to run with the ball, and I just heard the golden goose. So I'm just I'm just devastated, mortified, right? So they get Hogan out of the ring and, you know, I get the belt and Paul Bear and I are doing our stuff. So, you know, I go backstage and um, I go backstage and I'm asking, where's Hulk at, right? And he's always laying on Vince's office, office floor. So I go in there, you know, he's laid out on the floor, you know, oh, he's, you know, he's carrying on and like I'm going in to check on him, but then now here come the paramedics and stuff. So here me and Kayfabe, right? So I go behind a wall um, with Shane. Me and Shane are behind a wall, and I'm having to, you know, listen to, you know, can you feel this? Can you do that? And then I hear somebody get my wife and kids on the phone. <laughs> I'm like, oh, are you? Sh- oh, I mean, so you you can only imagine, right? Like I don't know what the hell's going on other than the fact that I just heard the golden goose. So, um, you know, Shane's right there telling me, he's like, Mark, he goes, his head wasn't anywhere close to touching that mat. And I'm like, no, man, I, I just couldn't hear it. Like, I was like, no, man, I, I heard him. I, I, I don't know what, I don't, you know, I was just, I couldn't put a thought together. I just thought I'd killed him. And um, so, and we didn't have access back then to, to watch things back right away like we do now. So I didn't see it until Tuesday in Texas because the next day I was, I can, uh, I think the next day I was in Hamilton, Ontario defending the title against, uh, Davy boy Smith or, you know, right. I was we were gone. Cause there's no Monday night raw. At that yeah. Point. There was no Monday night raw right. yet. And we had house shows. So I finally didn't, Got to see, you know, now, but by now a lot of the boys had come up to me and they're like shaking their head like his head never got anywhere close 
to the mat. And you watch it back, you know, you can tell his head never touched. And uh, so now I'm in this precarious situation. Like, you know, I'm still, I'm still a greenhorn, right? I mean, and now I've got to confront, I've got to confront, you know, the face of wrestling, the biggest draw, you know, ever. And now I've got to figure out what I'm going to do here. Like, I mean, I've, as a man, I've got to know what the hell, but I also know that it's, it's risking my professional career. Um, you know, and at that point, everybody's, you know, everybody's so paranoid too about their position and their spots and you don't hurt the top guys and you don't hurt anybody, but you know how that works. And I finally, I, I, I got to San Antonio and, uh, I was like, uh, Terry, I, I I watched it back. Um, your head, uh, your head never hit. He's like, well, brother, what it was was you had me so tight that when we came down, I had nowhere to move, and that's what that's what jammed my neck because I couldn't move at all. You're too, you're too tight. Seatbelt was on too tight. Got it. Yeah. It was too tight. And, and at that point, then I was like, okay. Then I knew. You know, I was like, okay, I kind of realized, okay, I know what you're all about. And that's all I needed. You know, I mean, we're going to, you know, we're going to fight him or. So this is is the perfect segue. And I didn't know we'd get there from this conversation. What, what did your relationship, what was it like with Hogan over the years? He's because from that point on, right from 91, when you're becoming the man on his, his, his position as a fixture fades. You know, as the years right. go on by 94, you know, we know that the him and him, Brett Yoko deal wasn't the same Hogan. It wasn't quite the same. He's gone. Right. So over those years when he's coming in and out and he comes back years later and now at that point, it's really your locker room. What was your relationship like with Hogan? You know what? I always looked at it like I, I, from where I was at that point to where I was at the beginning, I was in a completely different spot. So I didn't have to carry a grudge. I, I, I treated him with the respect that I think that for what he did for the business, he deserved. So I treated him that way. I was not overly friendly, but I did, you know, if he was in the building, I always made sure to say hello and engage him in conversation. But, you know, I've always, like I said, from that Tuesday in Texas, when I got that answer, I, I knew all I needed to know about him. and. Um, you know, and, and that's the way I always, then, you know, my radar was always up anytime that I had to, you know, interact with him, but I, but I dealt with him. I dealt in a professional manner. Did with you, him. But you took some pleasure when, when you guys were doing your, your thing much later and he was not able to get the motorcycle to drive at all. And he just had to get off and run. Uh, I laugh a little bit. <laughs> I, 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 I would be lying if I didn't say I got, I didn't get a kick out of that. Um, so one night that your name always comes up in, of course, is the screw job. Um, and you sort of playing the somewhere between peacemaker slash, you know, kind of hearing Brett out enforcer. And, and enforcer. Can you take us through a little bit how you remember that thing playing out for you? So, you know, at that time, Brett and I, well, we still are, are we're pretty close. Um, and, um, you know, he, Brett's radar was up like he he felt like something might go down. And so I was kind of 
working my way around. Like I kept asking uh, Earl Hepner, I was like, Hey, do you hear anything? Is anything going on? And you know, every time I asked him, it was, it was no, because I don't think he found out till late, really late what was going to happen. Um, but yeah, so I'm just kind of, you know, just keeping my, you know, my, my ears and my radar was up like, okay, what's going to happen here? If, is anything going to happen? Um, and then, um, it was getting close to the getting close to the match time, and this is the one place where I let my guard down. Someone said, "Hey, why don't you go watch the match uh, from Vince's office?" And uh, so I was like, "Okay, that's you know that's fine." Um, so I went back and was sitting in Vince's office watching you know watching the match, and then it all went down. All hell breaks loose, um, you know, and uh, I. Uh, I ended up working my way to, uh, to Brett's locker room and, you know, just like, I cannot believe that this happened. And finally, uh, I went, I left there and I, I went to get Vince. So I was like, Vince has got to address this to, to Brett. And, um, so I left there and was going to, to Vince's office. Vince was already on his way. Um, you know, he was already on his way to come talk to, to, to Brett about it. Um, of course, you know, all the boys are, you know, in an uproar. And what I kind of did was like, all right, this is bad enough as it is. A lot of you guys that it doesn't affect, it doesn't matter, needs to stay the hell out of here. Right. So there was a lot of people I didn't let in the dressing room. So I think Brett had, he had Owen and Davey boy. Um, um, some seems like there was somebody else. Was Jim there? Yeah, Jim was there. Jim. Might have, yeah, it might have been Jim. And then, um, and then Brett, and then then Sean was there. And then then Vince came in with Shane and Jerry Briscoe, Pat Patterson, and Bruce Pritchard. So everybody sits down. Uh. Vince on one side, Brett's on the other side. And I took Sean to the far end of the dressing room and I sat next to Sean because I knew at some point he was going to chime in and that wasn't going to help anything. So <laughs> we're sitting down there and, you know, they're kind of going back and forth. Vince is trying to explain his position and Brett's, you know, giving his, th- his thoughts on, on what he thought about Vince and what he did and basically said, I'm going to, Go in here. I'm going to shower. I'm going to get dressed. If you're still here, I'm going to knock you out kind of a deal. And that's basically they talked. He showered. He got dressed. They got up. And, you know, Vince said, I'm going to give you one. And I have to this day, I cannot figure out how that punch got through so many people. (laughs) (laughs) It, It was like. I, I really, I don't, I don't know. Cause there were so many people in there and they weren't like face to face, but and the punch got through, he hit Vince, Vince went down and, uh, that was, and that was it. So Brett, Brett says it was an uppercut. What did you see? Was it a right cross? Was it, was it a jab? It was a right hand for sure. I don't know that it was a, I don't know if it was an uppercut or more of a right kind of a, a looping overhand right, but I know it hit him right in the temple. 
and, and him right in the temple. And and so was is that just sort of the the kind of guy Vince McMahon is that if he feels that in this circumstance the only thing that's going to happen is he's got to take this shot, he's just going to take it and kind of get up and and keep it moving because he knows that's kind of what the locker room needs. I think so. I, I think you know I don't, Vince didn't want to do that. Who wants to volunteer yeah. for a punch in the face? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, Vince didn't want to have to, to, to do business that way. Right, of course. In Vince's eyes, he couldn't let Bre- he couldn't let Brett leave with the belt and then end up on WCW TV the next day with the WWF belt. Yep. That was, you know, so, and, and to the best of my understanding, Brett was not going to drop the belt to Sean. You think you could have helped if, if, if Vince had enlisted you to try to help with Brett? You think there's any way you could have helped? I, I definitely could have. And that was, so the next day, so I was really pissed. Like, I mean, I was pissed that it, that it got to that point. And like, I didn't know, like, I didn't show up the next day till really late because I didn't know if I was going to TV the next day. Uh, uh, Mick didn't go. Uh, and it was late in the day before. I decided, no, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go find out what the hell, you know, what happened here and why it was done this way. My point being was like, you should have, you should have switched, you know, you should have switched me. You should have put, you know, you should have put me in the match somehow with Brett. I'm sure Brett would have dropped it to me. Right. And then you could have beat, you could have, I could have dropped it to Sean later on, you know, right after that. Right. There was a way and to do it. There was a, there was a different way to do it, but you know, Vince had to make sure and he had to make, you know, he had to, he had to cover his bases, I guess, in, in his mind. And, um, you know, but that, that's kind of the point I think where the whole locker room leader was really starting to come about. Um, that had know, to solidify it. That, I was going to say that well, must've been the boys, event. Yeah. The boys knew how upset I was that one of us got screwed over, but then the office kind of could see the point of, okay, he's trying to do what's best for, for business. And it's always, it was that way for me. It was like, you know, I'll defend you if you need to be defending, but it all ends up, it's all about business at the end of the day. And that's where I fell in that, you know, it was one of the rare people that, that, I guess that kind of fell into that groove where I was trusted, you know, yes, I was one of the boys, but I was trusted by the office. Just like, you know, I was sitting in, sitting in on their meetings. I mean, I wasn't, but. A wrestling question. Uh, where did you, where did you get the inspiration to come up with so many signature moves that are not finishers? Um, you know, whether it's snake eyes, choke slam, um, Last old ride, school. old school. Was there was there someone who inspired you to do that? And also, where did the na- I, I might have missed where this happened? Where did the name old school come for old school? It, it, it's funny. I want to say um, it either came from Tommy Dreamer or, of all people. Um, um, Victoria, really? I, I'm I, and I'm not sure which one of them was, but one of them just you know yelled out one day, "Old school," and it stuck. And 
I, you know, when I, especially when I was American badass, you know, I'd yell out old school, you know, and just that just stuck. I, did, I like, yeah, I can't take credit for that. I, that somebody just said it, I think in passing. And, uh, and was that just a I, thing you'd always been able to do that you knew was a good trick of yours that you were so big, but could walk the top rope? So I, when I broke in, uh, when I broke in Texas, when I broke in in Texas, I got an opportunity to work with the original spoiler. And that was his move. He was about six, four, six, five, about two seventy five. And I knew when he did it to me, I said, as soon as this guy retires, you know, and he was late in his career, I said, that, that's mine, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, I watched him do it and, and, and figured it out. And, you know, there was a time there that, that I actually walked the top rope and walked down the top, type rope, the top rope and then dropped an elbow. But that's probably one of the reasons my hips got so bad. <laughs> I remember when I was in WCW, Jody Hamilton, you know, we do three or four, you know, squash matches in a TV taping. And I remember coming back one day and Jody Hamilton was sitting there at the monitor and he just kind of peeked up over his glasses and he goes, you're taking years off your career there, kid. I was like, no, sir, Mr. Hamilton, I'll be able to do this forever. <laughs> Little did I know. By the time that I started with WWE, I already had a limp, you know, and it was from dropping that that flying elbow off the top rope. How's the leg drop on the apron feel, by the way? That's another one you do that always looks brutal. It is. It's brutal for me. Yeah, it's it's not so. It's not. I mean, depends who it is, right. uh, but no, it should yeah. be good for them. But for you, it looks. Yeah, it's pretty good, good for them. That's not it's the place on the ring you want to fall. I mean, that just looks terrible. No, that's that's the hardest part of the ring, and. uh um, yeah, it, it, it looks great, but man, it, it, it's rough and it gets rougher. Like when you're doing it all the time, you kind of get conditioned to it. Yeah. But when you do it like once or twice a year, it's like, Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what that felt like. Yeah. But is there anyone else that, that did that? I mean, listen, there are some Everyone has their setup, right? You know, you know, Randy, of course, has that second rope DDT. You know, people will have one or two things, but you really have like a lot of signature moves. Was that a, was that a plan or these are just things that happened over years and years? Yeah. I mean, 30 years. Come on, man. I, right. Yeah. I mean, you got to pick up. That's where a lot of guys go wrong now. Um, in the way they work is, is they have those two or three moves and they do them. Every single week, right? And then they're not, they don't have anything else really that they come up with. And they just keep relying on those, those same moves. Like, like, like old school, for example, you know, after, I mean, after so many years of seeing it, I would use it as a cutoff spot. Like I would start up, I'd get on that second rope and I'd let whoever it was, you know, throw a couple of body shots in there and, and bring me out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then hopefully, you know, sometimes depending on the crowd, then I'd go back to it and pay it off later. Or maybe they didn't get it that night, you know, but I had to give, you know, I had to give options. There were certain times that I would get to the top rope and then I'd let them arm drag me off the top rope, but I would use those, those signature moves to set up, you know, spots that they weren't expecting 
But I mean, it's after what you have to consider how much TV time that I've had. If you don't continually add to the repertoire, then you're going to, you know, you're going to come pretty stale pretty quick. SGG, we yeah. got a, we got a, we got a wrap. You want to get one more in here with uh, the Undertaker? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this. I mean, you talk about being a locker room leader. We, we all heard the stories about wrestlers' court. <laughs> what was your role in wrestlers' court? Were you the judge? Were you the prosecutor? And then, like, what was the most absurd, ridiculous case that you had to sort of preside over? Man, that's going to be hard to narrow down. I was the judge, uh, so <laughs> okay. I, always, I always heard the cases. Uh, <laughs> In the heyday of, of, of wrestlers court, Bradshaw was the prosecutor. And then, you know, whoever was being brought up on trials, good luck trying to find a defense attorney. <laughs> it, was like, it, was, it was, it was not going to be a good day. Uh, cause pretty much, pretty much, well, I would a hundred percent of the time, if you got brought to wrestlers court, you were already guilty, <laughs> you know. Oh, <laughs> It was just, it was just the beginning of, of, of the sentencing. It was, um, it was you. So you were doling out the, the sentencing. That's what it was all about was figuring out the sentence. Formality. Right. Yeah. It was formality. It was, it was, you know, wrestler's court was kind of a, you know, th- there were different times. Like there were sometimes I'd pull people aside and say, Hey, you, you know, you're screwing this up. Okay. You need to, you know, you need to watch what you're doing. And there was other times that we could do wrestlers court. Obviously it, it add a little bit of levity to the road. It would, you know, it, it would break up the monotony of things and also send a message like you need to quit. You need to quit screwing up like this, right? Before it does become serious and somebody wants to, you know, you know, sport turns into a fight or turns into something more serious. Um, you know, you could have a little bit of fun with it and the lessons still get learned that, you know, what you're doing is not working and you need to change what you're doing. Well, listen, I, I literally got to like a third of the things I wanted to get to. So many questions to ask you. Um, and hopefully there'll be another time to do it because now that you maybe you're comfortable in this role, I think your voice is such a great one to have out there. We are grateful for your, your 30 some years in this business, uh, yes, us as fans you. and grateful for you doing uh, cheap heat and talking to us, Mark. Well, I appreciate you guys. Uh, like I said, I'll come back and uh, we'll, we'll get some. I know I'm a little long-winded now. No, I love I've it. Had, oh, okay. yeah. I've been holding up for 30 years, man. No. I got to get this stuff out. Hold on. Mark. So when the documentary is over, you got to come back. Exactly. Because you're, you're in, you are, you taught, you tell stories, but they're all interesting. So there was nothing I wanted to rush through because these were all so good. We'll get to the other stuff next time. But, uh, of course, the last ride picks up June 14th after backlash and we look forward to that. Uh, it's a pleasure, man. Hope to do it again. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thank Thanks you. for having me on. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the Undertaker. The, the conscience of the WWE locker room, uh, so many different nicknames. Um, thanks. honor now, the judge of wrestling's yeah. court. Thank you, Adam Hopkins from WWE for arranging that for me. Um, I, I, there's not a lot more to say or do, SGG. I'm like so tickled. I, I have never seen, you did a great job not smiling through. Him basically mild in a mild mannered way crushing Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was. You didn't beautiful. think you were going to get was, that today. No, I did not. But I loved it. <laughs> I and, and and listen, I have to admit, I have not listened to Simmons. I haven't listened to any of the interviews. So I just didn't want to be influenced by it. I wanted. I know that 
most of our audience is hashtag with a life. And this is the only wrestling podcast they hear. So I didn't want to do, I'm not doing the interview. We're not doing this so we get a headline. I don't even know if headlines have come from his interviews. All I wanted to do was what would our interview feel like? What topics would we cover? I don't know if he'd hit the This Tuesday in Texas story. I, I have no clue. And But the details we got on This Tuesday in Texas on the screw job, it's a reminder, SGG, mm-hmm. Yo, we didn't I talk about – You never knew which part. Sorry. The, the, uh, the Hogan, like, it, it makes sense now when you think about how quick the belt went on and off of him. Like, Hogan politicked them. Like, of course. <laughs> it, it, it was course. the most Hoganish story. The, the story of the neck and the way, and he's like, no, yeah. it's too tight, brother. Oh, my. It's the most perfect. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the reason I believe it. Like, there are these stories that you hear about people. It's like any sort of crime. Where there's too much smoke, there's fire. That story mm-hmm. of Hogan is so symptomatic of just what my Hogan. Neck my back. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was mind blowing. So I again, I don't know if it's been elsewhere, but for me and and SGG, let me just tell you some of the questions I didn't get to get to here. Um, and this is how much stuff he has. And I'm going to save this for if we get him back. Um, I, I, we got to Hogan. That's good. I wanted to find out about HBK. Everyone says he was a pain in the ass, but what? How did that manifest this, manifest itself? Mm-hmm. I want I want to ask about Bone Street Crew. His well, so his he, that's that's backstage. that's like who is that's like Godfather, um, Godfather JBL, um, the Godwins, Yokozuna, Rikishi, Yoko, right? So Savio I wanted to get to that too. Um, JBL always tells me the story that when they had their title match. And and JBL ended up uh, getting choke slammed through the car by Undertaker. He said that it was Undertaker's complete idea to have JBL get the pin clean in the middle of the ring, and that Undertaker was like, "I want you." He was like, "If you want to be as hated as you as you need to be, you need to pin me, and then I'll get the heat back by choke slamming you through the car after." But you should get the pin. So I was curious about that story. I wanted to know his closest friends from the business actually are. I got to the Snake Eyes and old school stuff. Um, I wanted to talk about some of the other matches no one talks about at Mania. We always spend all of our time on like the last 10 years. But what about the, think about the amount of legends in the early years. Three of his first four were Snooka, Jake, and King Kong Bundy. Um, yeah. So I was interested and, in that. And then Giant Gonzalez. I mean, what was that disaster like? You know, God rest his <laughs> soul. Honestly, too, like the streak matches, you know, they didn't plan to go. 20 and 0 or whatever it was. No, it, it just started, it just kept happening. Yeah, it's a thing where like every WrestleMania, they try to decide who goes over and it, it's just a vote of confidence on where he is in the company to say, okay, it's March, April. He needs to go over no matter who it is. Let's put together the story. Let's make it happen. So by the time they get to like 10 or 12 or whatever it is, it so, just shows that year in, year out how important he is to the company. Yeah, and, and there are big matches there. There's, um, there's the boss man one. He had Sid and Diesel in back to back years, which is so so typical of the time. Um, he had Flair, um, which was actually a fun story if you go back and look at it. He went and he went and beat up David Flair, and he beat up Arn Anderson um, <laughs> to get Flair to have this match. Um, he had Batista. Shout he had Mark, out to David Flair to always being down for the for the beat down too. He had Mark. <laughs> yeah. He had Mark Henry. He had Batista Edge. Um, I wanted to talk about the punk story and and the Paul Barra urn involvement. Yes. I, I was curious yes. about that. I wanted to know about Sting. Does he think about That's a Sting dream. match? 
the dream match that has to be. Is he friends with Steve Borden? Um, I wanted to know. Let's see. I got we got to that. I want to know some Vince stories. Like you hear so much about I know. Vince. I, I, like I, I, so I, much. What about so the many fact, myths? And what about the fact that I was always told that um, Vince never wanted to hear the American Badass even get brought up. Does he? Does he? <sighs> does he agree that Vince hated the American Badass? I wanted to know that. How about this? When he mentioned the name Mick in passing, I went, "Oh my God, we can't. We don't have time to talk about what he was thinking when Mick fell through the cell." Yeah, he's been involved in it. It really. Interviewing him really actually makes me realize how people make the goat argument because he's been involved yeah. in absolutely everything. And it's, it's, it's so true too. Like we spoke about Triple H, right? 25 years of Triple H and I made the statement that Triple H sort of weaves together all these errors. If, if that's true of Triple H and it's, I still think it is, it's even more true of the Undertaker, of the it's, guy it's, who was there. Already, when Triple H got there, who it's had five years? Been, it's five years more true. Yeah, like already been through a couple of eras. You know, he saw Hogan. He was there for Hogan Savage. He saw Flair come in and go back to WCW. He, you know, he saw the rise of Brett. All of it. Hey, well, listen, um, SGG. I I think that. I, well, I was just thinking about how I wish I could find out. I want to know what he was thinking when 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 Mick fell through. And was clearly effed up. If you go back and look, Undertaker stalls. He comes down well, yeah. and he beats up Terry Funk. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it's definitely all stalling to see if Mick can get it together. But I just want to hear the story. And and I got to tell you, he said long-winded. He tells stories in a beautifully detailed way. Yeah, because like, I, I like people who do it like that. They they set the time, the place. They put you right in their shoes. It's like you can you can weave through the story. Oh, it was so he. I didn't feel long winded at all. Like you can see him trying to remember at points a little bit, and then he remembers it and he gives you these details. Listen, yeah. I, 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 we're not going to do mailbag he, today. Um, he knows how to set the table for sure. And like, I, I hope he comes back. Yeah, I really hope so too. Um, I don't even really want to include on the podcast us reviewing. Much. Uh, listen, if if you didn't watch the main event at Double or Nothing, what was it called again? The Stampede match. What was it called? The Stampede match. The Stampede. The yeah, the Stadium Stampede. Stadium Stampede. Stadium Stampede. It was. I, I thought fun it was, match. I thought it was a blast. Watch it. That's all I'll say. I mean, it yeah. was a blast. Jericho. Jericho is hilarious. It's it's it, it it's a, the bar the, the 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 Hangman Page, uh, the bar scene, the bar fight. Who did he end up fighting with in the bar again? The, Jake Hager. Oh, uh, with Jake Hager. The Jake and, and Hangman, Hangman Page fight in the bar is tremendous. Go challenge the play. Jericho oh, the, the challenge with the, the red play, flag. The, the Sammy Guevara constantly being chased and running, getting chased by a horse. I mean, it was. But Sammy's getting hazed so bad. The way, I think, I think what they, I think what the thought was on, on how the Royal Rumble could feel. I think what they hoped maybe it could feel like, that's what the stadium stampede was. It managed to both be a real match and kind of a joke at the same time, but it was just really well done. They were so yeah. creative. It was so fun. And it helps to have a football stadium at your disposal. All, all, all there. But I really recommend it. The rest of the pay-per-view, to me, it was all about the casino ladder match and the stampede. That was the pay-per-view when it was all said and done. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, Obviously, people are talking in a negative way about that TNT championship, which 
it's ugly. It's repugged. It's, it's, but then, then you gotta love Cody because he goes in their press conference and buries the belt. He, well, no, that was Cody talking about the twenty four seven championship. Oh, which it is, was it even more hilarious. Oh, is oh that, I didn't know. I thought that was Cody after this double or nothing talking about his own title. No, he was talking, he was talking about the twenty four seven championship, which makes it even more hilarious that like word for word what he says applies to their championship like, oh yeah the tnt title no is like thought went into it damn that you hurt it's me ugly i replied to your tweet you a, said you gotta love cody for saying this but i thought he was talking about no, his own I do title. love him for saying it listen it's true as applied to both of those championships yeah. the 24 7 title grew on me but it is true as applied to both yeah, no, hands down tnt titles absolutely repug um and I haven't finished watching last night to see the, the, what they're doing with the whole Tyson angle. So next week we can get more into that and we can get to mail. But I don't want to drone on and on when we just had an amazing Undertaker interview. Um, maybe SGG, we always say this, but maybe sometime on the weekend we'll do a mailbag on Instagram or something like that for the people. Yeah, that, the people deserve that. Because um, they're not getting it this time. They're going to rest in peace on this one. No, no, exactly. Big rest in peace. Everyone, uh, SGG, do me a favor. Um, enjoy yourself. And uh, take it easy. Peace, stay mage. Thank you, P. Oh, yeah. Shouts to the dead man. Yo, that was a fun interview. Oof, man. It's professional wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. At this time, I would like to introduce in the corner to my left. The majesty. Wrestler in the history of the art form. Mutt, 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 mage.